passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Rewind the dynamite from the most recent sight. A-W, lighting up the fuse. Sit back and enjoy the bubbly. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Rewind to Dynamite. It's John Policara alongside Wei Ting. How are you, Wei? Doing well. All right, we have a lot to talk about tonight. There is a lot of news going on. A lot to talk about from Wednesday night's offering of AEW Dynamite. Uh, but first off, uh, do we not have something to give away? Yes, we do, as always. Store.postwrestling.com, where you can get your a little bit of the foily t-shirt. So let's give one of those away tonight. All right. Well, why don't you pick the, the lucky winner, one of the members of the Post Wrestling Cafe, that will be walking away with a brand new t-shirt. It's going to take me a second here. Each week, everyone, we draw, and you have the chance to win a prized item from store.postwrestling.com. So all cafe members, you can sit at the edge of your seat, wherever you're listening to this, on the bus, on the toilet, on top of a roof. Here it is, the moment you've been waiting for all week long. The winner is... Congratulations to our lucky winner, Michael Warford. Michael Warford, wow, this this is uh, one I'll be sending to Korea, it looks like, so congratulations. He was my pick to win, so there we go. Congratulations, Michael. You are the, uh, the proud new recipient of a new t-shirt. All right, uh, lots to go through on this show, and let's start off with uh, what is going on in... The WWE, we were delayed by a day, but we did get the raw number from Monday night. Uh, kind of interesting how things went down on Monday. They were up 5% from last week. They did just over 2.2 million viewers. Uh, it was a big drop from the first to third hour. However, they were going up against the second most watched Monday night football game of the year. The Seahawks and Vikings did over 14 million viewers and Yes, there was quite a lot of people that checked out by the third hour. That's almost a given at this point, even if it was a little higher this week. But 
I I think all things considered, you can look at silver linings, but I would say this held up more than it should have uh, for this week's Raw, which did not have a whole lot going into it. We were told ahead of time of a women's handicap match and a Seth Rollins apology to sit down and watch this show. I have no idea really how to how to take this information. You know, I it's 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 hard for me to think of any particular reason why somebody might be uh, more apt to tune into this show than last week's show. You'd figure coming off a of Survivor Series, there'd be a bit more buzz attached to last week. So I have no idea. Like a good amount of people that tuned into the first hour that were not here for the first hour last week. So that part is at least promising. Um, still, though, like a big drop by the third hour. And we're going to see. I mean, we're talking about very uh, like of a minuscule range. We're talking about the difference between 2.1 to 2.2 million viewers. That's kind of what the average is now. But I would say given the competition, uh, you have to look at this as uh, better than you could have expected going in for Raw's number this week. Uh, on the other end, we have Total Divas that is wrapping up its season. They did 247,000 viewers on Tuesday night for the first half of their season finale. They're breaking this up with the final, final season finale next week. Uh, second lowest number in the history of Total Divas. So there we go. The the Tuesday night lineup uh, as Total Divas continues to hover around this range. And then backstage... 138,000 viewers for the episode that featured Seth Rollins. And did you get to see backstage? Any thoughts on the episode and how Rollins came across? I did watch it. Um, I actually really enjoyed Rollins' interview. He was pretty, seemed to me very genuine about his thoughts on a number of topics that, um, you, you know, I hadn't heard him talk about that much in the interview setting. He talked a lot about maybe, you know, his public perception in particular, you know, understanding that, um, when questioned about the uh, red light match at Hell in a Cell, he kind of got into detail about him not realizing until the match took place that the red light was going to stay on and how much it kind of like affected his own performance and how much he doesn't like it. Kind of springboarded off of that into talking about how that match he feels was a tipping point for the fans, you know, I think uh, disapproval of him. Uh, even brought up Will Ospreay and, and the the Twitter scuffle that he had. So, uh, And also talked a lot about maybe how he seems to express a, a, a bit of regret. Uh, he said he enjoyed the match that he and Becky had with, with Corbin and Lacey, but expresses a bit of regret about how they ultimately agreed to you know bring that relationship up on TV. So I thought actually a very refreshing, genuine-sounding interview from Seth Rollins on Backstage. Yeah, I, I think that it's uh, – I'm never expecting the depth of these interviews to go into the idea that, well, Seth, maybe part of the reason is that you're in a much more relaxed environment here where you come across like a normal individual and you're in such a environment that you're a complete caricature of this version of yourself on television and it's grading on people. You're not going to get that kind of uh, that kind of questioning, that line of questioning on this show. So I think you can look at why people have – uh, turned on some of these characters and a lot of it is just it is these people that turn into corporate robots and that's certainly something that i think seth you can say has been guilty of this year that he has ascended to that position and replaced roman reigns in that role yeah yeah i agree um i i certainly you know that an accusation like that is not necessarily one i would expect on many interviews that seth rollins is a part of um 
uh, certainly not, you know, in a WWE produced type of interview as well. But I, you know, whether or not you agree with his points and his own feelings about where where he stands with with these issues, I felt like he was telling the truth about how he sees it, how he he sees himself as you know, sort of unfairly. Uh, I think you know, be, uh, I don't know. Uh, all of a sudden, um, eh, attacked by by the WWE fan base, even though he feels like he is being very much the same person. He was not really challenged on these points, um, but I I do get the sense that he was telling the truth about how he sees it himself. Uh, do Do you feel at all that it's um, like like what do you look at as the shift that Rollins has got and and is it somewhat like of a of an issue that is in a bit of a bubble? Like I, I think the Twitter stuff, it's there, but I don't feel like that is this enormous issue that is uh changed this opinion of Seth Rollins. Like, do you think that they have almost put too much credence on this at, at this point? Or do you think that there are are valid reasons to look at? Um I, I would look at like the Becky pairing, I just think was oil and water on television, and I think that frustrated him as he outlined that in the interview, but it's, I think he took it as like some kind of indictment on the two of them when it was just, it was very awkward television and it didn't serve their characters at all. At that point, Becky does not need a boyfriend on television. And I don't think Seth Rollins needs a girlfriend on on TV. It was just very miscast roles for both of their characters at the time by trying to weave that into. And I think that had a large part to do with it as well, was that it was just something the audience didn't know how to respond to. So they, rejected it well we don't know exactly what some of the criticism that you know he or becky might have had on twitter uh what that entailed so i think it it would be easy especially you know if you're somebody who admittedly seth rollins says he's a very proud person um i'm sure it's very easy to take some of those criticisms personally even though some of it might be more geared towards the character and the storyline than the actual people themselves um but you know as far as like whether or not twitter they're making too big a deal out of it I mean, I don't think it's just Twitter, but, you know, the reaction live, um, I think what you're hearing on Twitter and maybe what you're hearing live as far as the the negative reaction is perhaps just a sampling of how many viewers feel about Seth Rollins. And so I definitely feel like it's right for them. I I did try to go out and murder a man in Bray Wyatt and burn down his house. I don't know why there's this uh, this this angst against me as a result of this. I mean, I'm completely justified in how my character has been handled the last few months, too. Yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, so I I definitely think a change of direction is in order. Although, like, you know, hearing an interview like this, I don't know if you can um, make too many, um, you know, correlation between where they're going with the character versus maybe what this interview kind of came across as. Because he definitely, to me, felt a bit more likable after this interview. Whereas I think, you know, the, the, the course of the character thus far seems to be more turning towards a heel direction. But... Even then, I'm not so sure at this point. You know, he could be staying babyface. I, I, I guess I don't really know. Uh, CM Punk is going to be on next week's episode. Uh, so, yeah, that will be next week, whatever whatever they handle, whatever they cover on, on that particular show. Uh, moving on from, from that, anything else from backstage that, that stood out for you? I only saw the Seth Rollins interview. I didn't see anything else. He did a whole, like, thing about, like, Dana and Batista that was, like really funny oh dana brooke some reason i'm thinking of dana white and i was no (laughs) they did like okay dana brooke they did like a rereading of their tweets but with like very seductive like actors and actresses 
And, you know, I, I, you'll either watch it and you'll just be like, this is ridiculous and this is terrible, or you might really like it. I actually thought it was funny. I, I mean, I think it's a show that does a good job of catering to, you know, a WWE fan who just like, I think wants, wants to, I don't know, um, experience like the, the fun of, I think what's going on rather than maybe looking at it from a more critical sense, which it, 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 to me, it's, it, it's, a, it's starting to appear that, you know, this show is not so much for, for that. And it's, it's more so just a, just feels like a bit of, of a playground for them to talk about, I guess, you know, more lighthearted issues. Uh, I guess also coming out of the show, they, I guess they confirmed that uh, John Hennigan has resigned. This was a uh, Mike Johnson's report back in September. So they confirmed that, that he's coming back and I guess he'll be on the bump next week. That's where he, his big return is going to take place. And uh, Dio Madden going back to the performance center. And it sounds like uh, his seat has been vacated on raw and Samoa Joe will be there in the interim. And I guess the question is, once Joe is healed, what happens with that open spot? Or do we just revert to a two-man team with Vic Joseph and Jerry Lawler? I wonder if they even know the answer themselves. They may not at this point. But I'm not going to complain about more Samoa Joe. And yeah, the uh, the, the most devastating F5 in history, we have to say. Um, yeah, sure. The man changed careers based off this <laughs> F5. That's how traumatizing it was. All right. Uh, let's move on over uh, on NWA Power Tuesday night. This was their final episode before next weekend's pay-per-view. And the big announcement came at the end of the show where they had – I'm not going to say they addressed the Jim Cornette incident because they did not. They gave him quite the send-off, thanking him for his work. They d- did not bring up the circumstances over why he is leaving his commentary was on the show, and I mean, there was absolutely no way around this because you also had him celebrating in the ring after the Rock and Roll Express win the NWA tag title. So there was there was no getting around that. And I mean, his call was very good in this limited four minute match, calling the Midnight Express or sorry, the Rock and Roll Express winning their ninth tag title. But the announcement comes that uh, Stu Bennett, the former Wade Barrett, will be calling the pay per view on December the fourteenth. Yeah, I think a really interesting choice. I'm looking forward to hearing how Stu Bennett, Wade Barrett does. Um, the Jim Cornette thing, I certainly felt was interesting. And I think overall the way, I mean, the, the you know, this controversy, quote unquote, was handled on the body in the body of the show was really just treated as, you know, like it wasn't a controversy at all. And I have to imagine maybe that that was part of the thinking about going with it to to to, you know, to call it a controversy and to, I guess, admit fault perhaps would be them making, fearing that it would even turn it into a bigger deal than it has. And I guess you can, I don't know, debate that about what, you know, what the right way to go about it is. The other thing I would suggest is maybe they don't necessarily see, you know, what Jim Cornette said ad, said as that big of an offense that's, you know, worthy of uh, condemning the guy or even publicly up or at least apologizing in the body of the show, even though they did apologize like in the body of a, a tweet and press release. Yeah. I mean, it was, I mean, everyone that's watching this show knows what the story is. I, I, I still feel it probably should have been addressed, but on last week's episode, I think you had the best idea um, of just using that, that countdown at the beginning to, Hey, um, come on. If you're, 
the NWA and explain the situation. You know, last week we saw in the comment section, like they were swarmed by people backing Cornette. And I don't know, maybe this week they just wanted to try. I think they just want this to go away. I think they want it to be out of the news cycle. And I think at this point it, it pretty much is and try and restore some of the momentum they had going into next week's pay-per-view and just move on from that. So that's what this week's episode w- was done to do. And some people are going to be upset about maybe the, the the praise of which Jim Cornette received going out of this. But um, what did you think of the, the actual episode, this being the final one of the last tapings? I liked the episode a lot. I mean, I admittedly had kind of fallen off of NWA Power for the past couple of weeks, even before like uh, last week's clips show. It just, you know, the freshness had kind of worn off and I, I, I just didn't find myself as interested. But I think I, again, I had the interest of seeing how they would handle the Cornette situation this episode. But, you know, in, in doing that, I got to experience, I think, a rekindled, you know, fascination with this form of, of studio wrestling. I, I think like it's, it's amazing to me how interest I, interested I am in guys like Aaron Rex that I otherwise would not give a shit about Eli Drake that I otherwise would not give a shit about. Um, I thought there were two very, very good solo interviews shot outside of the studio with both uh, Nick Aldis and uh, James Storm, who are of course in the main event. Both of them are just incredibly engaging, just speaking to a camera and both of them, I think spoke quite at length too. Like these felt like five minute segments and I had no complaints at all because both were so incredibly compelling. So I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to like they were running down the card and I found myself pretty interested for almost all of it because I think they've done a great job of building and establishing every single character that's going to be on this show. So I, I'm, I'm back on board. I thought the Nick Aldis promo was fantastic. I thought it was the best promo on any episode this week. I thought it was better than Cody's promo tonight. I thought he was fantastic setting up the James Storm match. Like he is really among the best promos this year. Uh, I, mm-hmm. I just think, all this was fantastic on this show. Uh, the card for the pay-per-view is the two out of three falls match with Nick Aldis and James Storm with, with each selecting a referee for the first two falls. Uh, Nick Aldis selected Tim Storm and James Storm selected uh, Brian Hebner. So those will be the two referees. Cole Cabana, Aaron Stevens, and Ricky Starks for the NWA national title. A rematch between the Rock and Roll Express and the Wild Cards for the tag titles. Allison Kay and Ashley Vox against two of the three of Molina, Thunder Rosa, and Marty Bell. Mr. Anderson versus Eli Drake and Trevor Murdoch versus the question mark. I love the question mark. I um, feel the jokes kind of run its course for me. I'm I'm bizarrely still into it. Um, I you know of course everybody knows it's Josephus under there, and I I again Josephus does nothing for me but like putting him into this weird. This mask. What I absolutely like, love about it the most, though, are the videos that they continue to do with. I forget the name of like Josephus's manager, like whatever this fortune teller. Like, and that's just such a weird script that I think feels again very unique for professional wrestling. Um, it's just such a goofy, over the top gimmick, and I, I don't know. There's just something very, really attractive about it. The crowd seemingly really likes it as well. So I. Yeah, yeah, uh, I I like it. Yeah, and I, I'm I'm looking forward to hearing Stu Bennett do commentary. I mean, no one is going to step in and be Jim Cornette. That's a very tough role to fill in. But I'm 
Like, I, I didn't know who it was going to be. And I'm thinking, are they going to go a route where it's somebody that's the complete anti-Cornette and is, like, comedy or something like that? I, I like this choice with Stu Bennett that I think will impress a lot of people. I'm pretty optimistic about him. And I, I think Joe Galley is a great person to be paired with. So I'm I'm looking forward to it. I think they see, you know, what's worked about their formula, and I imagine they wouldn't want to deviate from Cornette's style of commentary too much. It remains to be seen, you know, exactly how serious I think uh, Stu Bennett will be. I I do feel like it'll probably be more, you know, sport-based, more history-based. Um, Definitely. Than, you know, anything too too much like, uh, I don't know, I got some bad news. Like, I don't think we're going to get the uh, uh, bad news Bennett on yeah. on this show. Um, final thing here before we get on out of here. Uh, Joe Kopp spoke to uh, Justin Barrasso at SI.com. So this is the first time he's kind of addressed everything that's gone on with Kelly Klein and the concussion protocol. So he was asked about uh, said subjects, and this is what he told SI.com. The protocol is just this. We recognize the dangers that are inherent in professional wrestling. More specifically, the possibility exists of a wrestler suffering a concussion during a match, and we take all injuries very, very seriously. When we are alerted or when we feel there is an injury, we immediately defer to the medical professional on staff. I was not there, but I was made aware that Kelly did not realize she was concussed until sometime after the match. That hour could very well be a true lapse of time. But as soon as she reported she was concussed, she received immediate attention. Kelly declined the option to go to the hospital at that point. Ring of Honor had management present at the event, including the hired operating agent for the tour. I will tell you that as soon as I learned about it, I texted her and she told me she appreciated my text and told me she was fine. Um, In this uh, piece, they also speak with uh, Kelly Klein. And it seems both sides are kind of disagreeing of whether there was uh, somebody there to... Uh, to treat her on, on site. And Joe Koff also said that uh, it was a lapse of judgment from one of our of administrators who emotionally wanted to prevent our company from further attack, which led to Kelly Klein being blocked on Twitter by ROH's Twitter account. So apparently it, uh, it, it sounds like she's been unblocked. She's been unblocked. Okay. <laughs> That's what yeah. we are led to believe no, here I by this response. Absolutely. But um this you know, it's it's really just at a point now of just you know two sides with differing accounts of what 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 happened at that show that uh, Joe Coff said he was not at, but kind of yeah, in, you know he's stating there were people there and Kelly Klein was saying there was not. I mean, I don't really see much of a conclusion coming out of this. It's just you know so much he said she she said, um, but all of it taking place in a public forum. I certainly feel like Joe Coff has every right to like defend Ring of Honor and, you know, probably good that he actually did that. Um, if he does feel like he, he wasn't, they weren't at fault, but I would just say, I, I just don't think you're going to get much of a conclusion out of this. You know, um, I, it's been such a shit show. Like, I think everybody's looked kind of bad out of this, you know, certainly maybe a lot more sympathy towards Kelly Klein. Um, and Ring of Honor has taken a great deal of damage, uh, PR-wise, coming out of this. Um, but I, I just see the sides moving apart. Kelly Klein hopefully getting signed with another company onto bigger and better things. And Ring of Honor still left with some very real issues about, you know, uh, fixing uh, a, a great deal of its perception right now. And, you know, I don't think this, the feelings of there being something amiss at the on the on an organi- organizational front at Ring of Honor are going away at all. 
Yeah. Uh, Klein's uh, statement in the SI piece was that no medical personnel were ringside and there were no medical personnel in the immediate backstage area as I'm just uh, going through this. But yeah, I agree to your points. Um, Joe Koff was kind of pressed on the fact like could could these uh, fences be mended with Kelly Klein um, after December 31st when her contract expires? And he just, you know, Joe Koff just was not going to give a definitive answer, but very much seems that they feel they were doing the nice thing by not outright firing her or trying to push that she breached her contract by sharing these documents. But the fact is they are still paying her throughout her contract and then not renewing it. So that's kind of cough side of believing that they have met halfway and will not be doing business with her after December 31st. It's it got fairly ugly between these two sides. I don't think it painted ROH in a great light. I do think Kelly Klein will move on and hopefully uh, sign somewhere else. But uh, this is going to be a big period for Ring of Honor coming up with a lot of contracts due at this point and what is in store for ROH in 2020, which has to be a rebuilding year after this past year, which has been um, – you know, a very difficult one for them, to say the least. I mean, this year really should have been a rebuilding year. You know, with the with the absence of of the Bucks and Cody, uh, and and just them taking a big hit. But yeah, next year even more so. Um, I it, it, I think it's it's that much more important that they change course this year. All right, all of your news you can go find at postwrestling.com. Uh, we have lots of uh, updates up there, including one from Andrew Thompson today with uh, lots of uh, great news items. So go check that out. We'll now move on over to Dynamite from Wednesday night in Champaign, Illinois, the home of Tony Khan. Mm-hmm. So the show began uh, immediately with our six-man tag with the Young Bucks and Dustin Rhodes taking on Santana Ortiz and Sammy Guevara with Dustin Rhodes uh, coming out in his Young Bucks attire, wearing tassels and matching outfits with Nick and Matt. Yeah, they seem to be a regular team these days. And, you know, a, a bit of an updating gear always helps. This looked like something out of the uh, the Gold Dust 1998 wardrobe when he was paired with Luna. Like post-Gold Dust. He was the, the artist formerly known as Gold Dust Phase. Yes. So Jim Ross... Uh, as Sammy Guevara comes out, Justin Roberts says they call him a Spanish god. Ross wants to know who they are and compares him to a young Eddie Guerrero, says Sammy Guevara is going to be a big star one day. So match begins. Uh, we see the spot where Matt delivers the Northern Light suplex, then does a pair of them to Sammy Guevara and Santana. Can't pull off the triple when Ortiz gets involved. Um, they take turns then handing off Matt for a delayed vertical suplex. He ends up slipping off and landing a super kick. Dustin comes in, did some comedy here after some power slams and then pretending that he's winded and can't keep going. So crowd enjoyed that. They're very, they were very hot for Dustin here, who's still wearing the cast. And now his uh, Golden Globes or Shattered Dreams now called the Unnatural Kick. Mm, not as good. The unnatural kick. Why can't you keep shattered dreams? Um, uh, I don't know. Maybe, I don't know. I know, like, he, he's not gold dust anymore, and, and you kind of, I don't know, maybe somehow, for some reason, that facilitates a rebranding of all of his 
signature moves, but I think Shattered Dreams is recognized. It it's a great sounding name, and the unnatural kick, that's not good at all. Uh, Rhodes gets hit with the slapjack. Sammy hit a great looking six thirty for a near fall, and we got a bunch of near falls here. Nick uh, draws Sammy in to a spear from Matt. Then Ortiz keeps breaking up a bunch of covers. Nick comes off the top as Excalibur pronounces Escalara. And Tony says, I love those Escalaras. And JR says, I used to drive one. <laughs> Good one. Guevara then grabs his phone and starts vlogging as he does a shooting star press into a double super kick. Dustin takes the phone and tries to take a selfie. Matt and Dustin then lift up Santana and Ortiz in the tombstone position as Nick comes off the top, drop kicking Santana and Ortiz, and then landing on top of Sammy Guevara with a senton, and they get the win in 10 minutes, 55 seconds. This match was amazing. Like, this was just like 10 minutes of insanity. Like, I I wasn't ready for it. You know, I had just reheated some, like, taco leftovers from last night. I was about to sit down, have my dinner, watch AEW. And then I was just blasted in the face with this like crazy intense match. Everything was so fast. And I would say, you know, I would say that this was like a video game match, but in the very best way, I didn't feel like a whole lot was wasteful aside from the 630, which was only used as a near fall from Sammy Guevara, which I, I, I was a little disappointed by because I think a move that difficult and that risky should always be a finisher. But besides that, like, some excellent triple team spots. Hot tags were really well built and just like memorable action throughout the entire thing. You know, it just felt like these six were being able to like express themselves to their full ability with zero limitations. And then you had like cool uncle Dustin joining them and fitting in perfectly as well. That is his role. Crazy uncle Dustin, who's just there and kind of knows his spot here in these, uh, in these matches. Uh, worked really well with the crowd. Um, Started the show off really hot. They were going against a 15-minute Killian Dane Pete Dunn match that NXT started off with. So that's what was uh, kicking off each show. And there were yeah, go ahead. there were a lot of audio issues. I don't know if you heard John, but at the beginning of this show, maybe it was just the, my particular feed. I was actually having like issues all night trying to watch this show. So I ended oh, up really? finding like a pirated not through, not because of these audio issues, just because uh, my TSN login wasn't working. So. I had to resort to uh, alternative means. But I, I went online afterwards and noticed that a lot of people were also complaining about audio issues throughout at least the beginning portion of this, this show as well. Like you just – it was hard to hear or it was just it cutting was out? cutting in and out in, huh. in, in that like um, you could sometimes hear maybe the announcers but not so much the background. Like for much of it, it just sounded low in general. And then once it did get up to like a normal level – um, certain things, it just felt, felt like somebody was fiddling with something. And I'm sure that was because they were trying to fix something. And eventually they did throughout this in, in somewhere in, in this match. But nonetheless, um, I certainly got the sense that they are, continue to be plagued with some audio issues. Yeah, I, I wasn't, I, it didn't strike me, uh, not to say they weren't there. So, um, yeah, if, if other people were complaining about it, um, yeah, maybe I was just not, uh, could be attention. that TSN was fine. Because I ended up not. Yeah, watching I watched it on my TV and I didn't seem to notice that. Like there were times the crowd seemed low, but just not like like naturally low. Not that there was any audio problems. Um, I will say when they went backstage for a very rare backstage interview, uh, I found that to be like the audio very low. Like it was kind of like that Jericho promo last week where it was very tough to hear at times. Yeah. So, 
we go right into Trent and Ray Phoenix. And in the first minute, the Muscle Buster and Dude Buster are teased. And Phoenix does this Tiger faint kick that knocks Trent off balance on the turnbuckle. And we go to commercial. And, man, did it seem apparent that the announcers had a directive tonight to make sure people do not change the channel because we have picture in picture. And they this was the most aggressive they have been of trying to prevent people from flipping over during the commercial breaks because that is going to be tune out signals for your crowd. Does telling somebody that there's picture in picture, I guess, I guess in a way that saves you like a split second from getting people to switch. Sure. I, they also did, they did some notable things during the breaks as well. Like two, yeah, two I, notable things. And I don't know if that's the best idea either. I actually couldn't see it because, like, I, I ended up finding, like, a – okay, I found a pirated stream, everybody, because my shit wasn't working. So I got, like, a TNT stream, and and it blocked out all the picture-in-picture, picture, so you're going to have to tell me about what I missed. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. That's very strange. Um, Well, we'll get into it. Nothing happened here. But they come back. There was a Tornillo by Phoenix off the top into a, a Trent drop kick. Uh, Trent speared him on the floor, and uh, this is where we go through – I believe they had a – um, they might have had a second break here. I could be mistaken. Phoenix then runs across the top rope. The announcers are just in awe of that. And then there's multiple springboards into a foot stomp by Phoenix to the back of Trent. And then the running knee and pile driver combo from Trent uh, only gets a two count. Phoenix then catches him off the rope with a cutter, jumping spin kick in the corner and muscle buster for the win by Phoenix. Uh, and they note his singles record improves to two and zero. Uh, I, I thought these two were great. I thought this was a really fun television match. I mean, I was actually disappointed by it. and But you know what? You saw like three more minutes of this match than I did with the picture in picture. So maybe that, that affected my enjoyment a bit. I thought the booking really surprised me because I thought they were giving Trent a streak with wins over the Lucha Brothers in consecutive weeks. This seemed like it was breaking whatever momentum or they, they were trying to build with Trent. Um, and I think I was even more disappointed with the lack of emphasis from the announcers after the match about what this win might mean for either man's overall picture. So, you know, I also sense little in connection with the crowd. And I do wonder if it was perhaps, at least for me, I found the pre previous match so intense that I don't know if it drained this audience because this match didn't necessarily offer anything different. It represented a very similar style, but it wasn't as fast, nor with characters that are as over. I do think that Pentagon and Phoenix feel miscast as these heels. And Phoenix really wasn't presented as one in this match, but later on they were. And I just think no one wants to boo these guys. They're totally strange as heels, because number one, their in-ring styles are so fan-friendly. Secondly, you have Penta like, at every every free moment trying to like signal the crowd to do his, his like chant and hand sign. Um, and on top of that, neither has had any real character development during AEW's entire existence outside of like, you know, that press conference where they pile drove a guy, pile drove Daniels. But like, I, I don't recall really seeing any sort of like significant promo other than what we saw in BTE, but none of that counts. Like, what have we seen of these two on Dynamite that tells you anything about who they are? No feature, no, no, even like significant promos. I, I, I just sense a, um, if you're a new audience member not watching them, uh, not having seen them from a previous, you know, anything, I, I think they are um, somewhat dropping the ball uh, with them. And I think that's too bad because we know how compelling 
somebody like Phoenix can be if you saw his episode of The Wrestlers. So, um, you know, I know that there's always going to be the excuse of like, oh, it's only 10 weeks in, 11 weeks in, give it some time. But I, I feel like I just don't even get an indication that, you know, certain guys are, are even being thought of as, you know, guys to eventually get promo time. Um, so I didn't really come away with a heightened connection to either guy after this. Cody came out. Uh, he still has his third eyebrow uh, that Tony Schiavone pointed out by saying, there's a lot on your mind, including that, as he pointed to his scar. Cody said it reminds him of the failure of not winning the AEW title, meaning he can never challenge for it again. He took an ass kicking last week, and all of the people that are usually there to lift him up are preoccupied. Dustin's in a blood feud along with the Bucks. Brandy is off cutting people's hairs. Uh, MJF kicked him in the balls. Uh, he says, I know who you are, Andy Williams, Pepper Parks, Allie. I know you from beyond wrestling, from bar wrestling, and said, we can have a match right now. You can even pick my partner. And the crowd was big, chanting for Cody. He says that MJF has stated he won't wrestle Cody. Well, Cody needs to face him. And he said, it was my decision at the end of full gear, whether I could continue that match or not. And only mine. He said that people warned him about MJF. They said he was too short, that he was hood rich and even does the worst version of the crossroads. So they're now botching the move on two different channels. Now who's the other one uh, that's doing that. Oh God. Um, like I know we talked about, it. I just, it's I'm blanking on who, who it was. Is Damian priest doing it? Oh, okay. I think so. Yes. God, I've seen yeah. so many versions of that that move over yeah. the years that they it's a move that really just blends together with people. Um he says that MJF is a Bush League NWO version of Chris Jericho. Yeah. Yeah. He says he thought he could make MJF his protege. He knew he was a bad guy, but he was my bad guy. And he says that he's willing to offer MJF his car his watch that Tony Khan gave him, his shoes. He even has Justin Roberts bring in a briefcase of $50,000. And to prove it's real, he gave away $100 to a kid in the front row. He says that MJF is the future, but education is the passport. And Cody's going to educate him. And he left. And there was no sign that MJF stormed the ring and stole all of this stuff. Somebody took it. Maybe that kid. I guess MJF wouldn't have been there tonight because he's got a DMLW show tomorrow. Oh, okay. Interesting. And uh, usually they have to be there the day prior for uh, pre-tapes and stuff. So I would imagine MJF wasn't even there tonight. I thought Cody was tremendous as always. You know, anytime he comes out there for one of these talking segments with Tony, he seems to have the crowd in the palm of his hand and he can seemingly get away with almost saying everything. Uh, and I thought he addressed all of his various programs very clearly, you know, put some order into, I think, you know, what could be somewhat of a chaotic picture for him with the, the Butcher and the Blade and now also MJF directing your clear focus to both of them. But, you know, long term MJF, uh, I, I thought it also fa- I found it fascinating how like Cody ever since, you know, AEW began has really been positioning himself as sort of like your classic millionaire rich like playboy champion. And doing it in a way that is endearing and, you know, um, 
that works for a baby face because I feel like all of this stuff, you know, showing off uh, like his watch and his his red bottom shoes, uh, all of these things, like I feel like you know could could certainly be traditionally treated as sort of a heelish thing, but for some reason Cody's able to like turn it into a baby face thing, much like the way like Flair ha- Flair was able to. It shouldn't work. It shouldn't. He is in many ways trying to do Ric Flair while still being the common man that Dusty Rhodes was. He's trying to do both. And in a weird way, he is somehow like, I think he's like earned enough respect from the audience to make you feel like he's earned his money. He's worked hard to get to this point. And therefore you're, you want to cheer for him. You want him to, you know, Get, be even more successful rather than let's say somebody like a I don't know the million dollar man who just like comes in with money already uh, and flaunts it from there we go backstage Alex Marvez interviews Joey Janela who wants to make a name for himself tonight taking on Moxley in their rematch he said he was one of the first to sign a contract with AEW and then was put on the back burner he brings up fighter fest but this time it counts and John is gonna have to kill him Moxley then walks in, he kind of just scoffs at Janela and just says, kids, and walks off. How old is Joey Janela? Joey Janela, I can't imagine he is much younger than, he's 30. Moxley? Moxley is 33, and as they brought up on the broadcast, his birthday is this weekend, so he's pretty much 34. Kid, so I'm I'm guessing the kid means is talking more about his size, and I don't know if the intent here was to emphasize you know the height difference between Janelle and Moxley because it it definitely was apparent, and I think calling him a kid, I suppose it was you know meant to have Moxley show that he wasn't taking him seriously because he was so small. Then we got our latest Dark Order video that are getting creepier by the week. We've got a guy like posting like a manifesto online. And then we cut to a scene in the forest where the guy says his reason for joining the group is revenge. And then we get the the heavyset guy from the first series of videos who is willing to disown his family to join the Dark Order. And when they ask his motive, he said, I just want friends. And this leads to Stu Grayson attacking this poor man as the creepers swarm him. And we're led to believe he's dead. Yeah, they're swarming him, and I guess, I, I don't know if this was meant to be initi- initiation or that Stu Grayson was so angry that he wanted friends that they decided to to kill him. Um, but by the way, um, Evil Uno was the guy talking at the podium yesterday, unmasked. So, uh, that's somewhat interesting. You know, these continue to look really cool, and I think are continuing to be very effective in helping the Dark Order make an impression on people's minds. They definitely still verge on being too, like high school horror horror film corny but overall i think they're definitely a huge positive compared to what came before nyla rose destroyed leva bates um they showed an angle from last week where nyla rose beat up uh, shanna at a meet and greet so she attacks bates goes for the beast bomb but peter avalon gets involved his finger gets grabbed Bates then uses a book as a foreign object, and it ends up with Avalon and Bates getting choke slammed and Rose winning in a minute 36 with the Beast Bomb. She hits another one when Shanna runs in with a high cross onto Nyla Rose, and then she catches Shanna, 
hits a power slam, and we go to break. So this is where we go to picture in picture. So let me run through this way. What, what you missed. I can't believe you missed this. So Nyla sets up a table in the ring. Shanna, then uh, she goes to powerbomb Shanna through the table when referee Rick Knox steps in to stop Nyla Rose. So Rose attacks Rick Knox and puts Rick Knox through the table. And then we get a cutaway to Britt Baker with her hands on her face as we're watching Britt Baker's horrified look (laughs) as she is watching something dastardly in the ring. I thought this was... Like, this to me is subtlety at its finest that everyone like to me it was almost perfect that it was the picture in picture because it was such an easter egg that if you just skip through these you totally missed it now they did replay this later on in the show but i i thought this was just so funny and not like hitting you over the head with something that was just totally funny funny in a good way or bad funny in a good way i thought this was really fun to make make a point of this was this meant to be funny though of course it was meant to be funny. It was a clear play on a very funny moment. Which one was that? Britt Baker in the crowd oh, at TakeOver. Oh, okay. So that's that's all that was, eh? It was just a reference to the TakeOver thing. But it fits oh, okay. in that Britt Baker is... It's not like this was so out of left field that, you know, it's obviously this was done as a joke on that, but also uh, potentially doing something with Britt Baker and Nyla Rose here. Right. Interesting. Yeah, cool. I uh, can't really comment on it. I didn't see it, so uh, maybe I'll go and check it out. Um, I thought the squash was impressive for Rose. Chokeslam looked good, and I think they're they're effectively establishing that uh, beast bomb. Jericho comes out, uh, and Jake Hager is carrying a clipboard. Jericho immediately calls the fans losers who are from this town, says no one from here has been as successful as him, and we get our first Tony Khan chant. And Jericho asks, who's Tony? He says he sold 12,000 bottles of his champagne this week and says that he is obligated to have one more match this year. So he's going to wrestle on December 18th in Corpus Christi, but he gets to choose his opponent. And he has put together a list and everyone cheers. He tells them to get out of 2016. This isn't the list. This is the lexicon of Le Champion. And he goes down who he is not going to wrestle. And this was a combination of his list and his 1,004 holds where he would just constantly revert back to John Moxley that he would not wrestle. But he brought up he would not wrestle Cody, the Young Bucks, Papa Buck, Uncle Buck, Scorpio Sky, Too Cold Scorpio, the Scorpions, Alan Jones, Kenny from South Park, the guy in the ring or the guy in the crowd with the popcorn. And they get cut off as Jurassic Express comes out. He says that dinosaurs and little children are also on the list. And this leads to Luchasaurus speaking. He informs Jericho he's got a master's degree in medieval history. And dinosaurs have been marginalized for 65 million years. And that Marco might be small for his age, but he's more of a man than Jericho ever will be. Jericho corrects him. He says Marco's small for any age. He then isolates Jungle Boy who he says has never won a match. He thinks Jungle Boy is shit and couldn't last 10 minutes with him. And then Jungle Boy says, I know I can last 10 minutes with you and I'm going to kick your ass. 
slaps Jericho, big brawl, Jurassic Express, clear the ring, and we've got Chris Jericho and Jungle Boy on December 18th. Good segment. I'm glad to finally hear Jurassic Express speak on TV, and I really like that they're evolving Jungle Boy into a speaking character because, you know, the mute gimmick was only going to take him so far. He he clearly, I thought, looked nervous, but I think he did a decent job here, and you just get the feeling like somebody that young will improve dramatically from this point forward. Uh, I think the match, if it's a good match, will go a long way in establishing him as a heavyweight singles wrestler, not just, you know, a lightweight. I, I like that the match isn't happening for two weeks, too, because it gives them the next episode to put some more spotlight on Jungle Boy. So I'm hoping that they, they can learn from some of the best moments of the Scorpio Sky program to allow Jungle Boy to maximize this exposure. I think, you know, we brought this up last week, and Jericho brought up the same thing in an interview, that he thought they should have had more video things last week of Scorpio Sky building up to the match throughout the show. And mm-hmm. I completely agreed. Like, we mentioned that last week. I hope they learn from last week and make the Jungle Boy. You have several weeks now. Or well, you have two weeks to build it up. So I hope they do a really good job next week of telling the story of Jungle Boy. And and I think you should go into like who this guy is and his whole story. I think you should spend that next week and the following week kind of don't just leave it for the final 15 minutes of the show. Like Jungle Boy, it should be constant checking up on Jungle Boy and getting you set. So it feels like a big deal for AEW's last match of the year. Yeah, yeah. Then they replayed the the Nyla Rose spot uh, where she puts Rick Knox through the uh, table and they also show the Britt Baker reaction and they say that Nyla Rose has been suspended and it's the first time this has happened with a referee being attacked, which is not the case because John Moxley has attacked Paul Turner in the past. But he wasn't suspended? or He was, he was not suspended. Hmm. So anyway, double standard. Uh, they also an- announced for next week, Cody and QT Marshall against the Butcher and the Blade, or QT Marshall. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is who they chose as the partner for Cody. Yeah. Chris Statlander, Hikaru Shida. Again, we remind the viewers to stay tuned as it's picture-in-picture. Sheeta is hitting her with all her offense, knee strikes, a Fujiwara armbar. Statlander gets to the rope. Uh, She hit this deadlift superplex, and then a scissors kick. Sheeta kicks out, hits a shining wizard. There's a head kick by Statlander and a Michinoku driver for a two-count. And then she connects with her cradle tombstone called the Big Bang Theory, and Chris Statlander pulls off the upset, pinning Hikaru Sheeta. I wasn't sure about this booking either. To me, much like Trent, you know, they were building a streak with Hikaru Shida. She was an existing number one contender and I think still somebody to be established. So I'm not so sure about the idea of like telling an upset victory story over somebody who is barely established in Hikaru Shida. Yeah, I was I was surprised by this. I thought for sure this would be like just continuing the momentum. And yeah, it just seems like they are not... You know, to me, it's like they're doing it with John Moxley. Like, he is undefeated. He is winning all of his matches. And I think that's the best way to build up a challenger, especially in the infancy of these divisions at this point. And it seems that, yeah, this is just kind of um, shifting focus onto multiple challengers at this point. It almost seems like the division is set on establishing a contender versus... um, But they haven't... But they've... Setting up the match and then building the match. But they've barely done that. Because you would think Sheeta would be that contender, but here she just takes her first loss. Yeah. 
yeah, it was a surprising finish here. The lights go out. Awesome Kong and Brandy walk out, and they are now the Nightmare Collective. They do the jobs that no one else wants. They explain that they are an extension of the Nightmare family. So they're, an, they're a heel extension of a baby face stable. Yeah, by stealing hair extensions. I guess, yeah. Um, okay, yeah, please continue. Brandy wants Chris Statlander to pledge herself to them, and she will have a home with them. I was waiting for her to ask, don't you just want some friends? This is very much like the Dark Order so video. It's what I was thinking. I mean... This is very similar. came across way too similar, I thought, to the current rebranding of the Dark Order, with both of them yep. being this like cult-like thing that requests pledges. I mean, they've got like three gimmicks that are all really similar here with the Dark Order, um, you know, the Butcher Dark Order the being, being very similar to the Butcher and the Blade. Now this Nightmare Collective thing, not to mention you have guys like Jimmy Havoc and like, you know, even Darby Allen that kind of exists within this like gothy space. Like you have all these heels wanting to be like Marilyn Manson fans or something. And I just think it's a little too much for one show unless you start pairing them together. So... Before Chris Statlander can answer this, there's a fan at ringside that is wanting to pledge. So they bring her in, and Kong chops off her hair. And then as we go to commercial, picture in picture, they get a razor and start trying to shave her head, although they're not very successful in shaving it off. Uh, complete uh, redo of the Serena Deeb angle with the Straight Edge Society that I'm sure most people just uh, connected this with. Um, they did a head shaving off in picture they, in picture. Wow. They were going to do a head shaving, but they didn't really shave her head. I don't know if the razor was not working properly, but man, this past week have not been the most inspired uh, head shaving angles when it comes to uh, Daniel Bryan under a ring and this woman during a commercial break. God. Well, was that I it? didn't really like this angle. I, I didn't think it worked. I, I thought it was just. Uh, very confusing that we had this – we already had – like the win over Hikaru Shida was secondary to Kong and Brandy, which was then overridden by this mystery woman who then is getting her hair cut off. It's like why is so much happening in the span of three minutes here? It just felt like this was like three weeks of angles that was all happening at once, and I just didn't think any of it really stuck. I wasn't a fan of it either. You know, beyond, I think, my complaint about this gimmick just being a little too similar with, with some of the other ones that are existing. Um, like, that to me speaks that there there's a real creative freedom for everybody here to just make their own gimmicks. But unfortunately, I think that also means a clear lack of c communication up top to prevent that overlap, which we're getting a ton of on this show. I, I'm also a little disappointed that we aren't seeing a version of Awesome Kong that showcases her, like, incredible acting ability that we know she has from watching her on glow like she's probably the best actress on this roster maybe even like the best actor period on the roster and yet she's got a role where she really doesn't have to do anything much like doesn't have to speak barely has to act too so i don't i'm still not a fan at all of what's going on with brandy and awesome kong yeah i i think that as well you know i i see one of the main criticisms is you know trying to well I don't know who this character is or what's the backstory on this person. And I think like there is a strong argument that like you can't get everybody over. And there is to me, like, do we need this storyline? Do we need to have storylines for 
all of these different characters at this point because I feel like we're getting almost too much at this time. And I, I'm much more of the idea that who are the eight to ten people that we are pushing hard right now and we're going to focus on them and the rest are kind of there to make sure we get the eight to ten people over. And I think that now we're getting this thing where everyone's got to have a gimmick. Everyone's got to have a character. And you're getting like this this overlap of you know similar characters and other stuff that just is not going to stick because in this one segment alone, like we saw multiple things thrown. And I, I don't think the average fan is leaving remembering that Hikaru Shida just lost a singles match when she was positioned as the number one contender because – there was just so much piled on in this one segment because we're trying to get all this stuff over. I think, you know, several weeks in, I, we're, we're starting to see, we've, we've probably been seeing it even for the first several weeks, but now I think several weeks later, they have less of an excuse to fall back on by claiming that they're new. Well, you've had like, you know, 11 weeks to kind of work at it right now. And I think AEW is starting to maybe show a lot of its weaknesses in developing new talent. Um, and I would kind of classify this as one of those examples. I think it's just a case that they're trying to introduce too many people. Like I just think but, there's, there's but too even, many people. But even the effort and the time that they're putting in to promote certain people is not really being used effectively. Uh, su such as who? Such as this. This would be one. This didn't really work. Such as all. with Hikaru Shida losing here, such as with uh, what's going on with Trent, uh, such as, I guess, uh, jury's out on, on Butcher and the Blade, but, like, um, you know, certainly, like, Riho has, we, we haven't even heard from at all recently. Uh, Phoenix and, and Penta, I know nothing about. Well, like, all the people you just listed, Way, like, it's unrealistic that we're going to get all these angles and stories and all these people over. I think you've got to pick, like, who are the priorities of those names you just listed right there? I would say Riho is one, and I would say, like, Phoenix and Pentagon. And the rest, it's like, it's just not time right now. We've got a bloated roster at this point, and we've got two hours every week. So I don't need stories for Trent right now. I don't need stories for Awesome Kong and Brandy. I'm not debuting The Butcher and the Blade now. I'm saving that. Uh... Or I'm not going with the Dark Order right now. We're trying to get all of this on. It's like everybody. We're signing more people. It's like, man, there's only so much room here. And it just feels like, well, this week we're going with all these people. And then they're going to be off TV. And then it's another round of people. And there's just, it's too much. Like, you're not going to get all these characters over. And you're not going to keep all these stories straight. So I would much rather they, they go for less and just try and go full steam ahead with a, a finite number of people than this current incarnation where it just seems we're getting new people all the time and we're getting new characters for everybody and it's it's not sticking top to bottom after that they announced the young bucks santana and ortiz will also be on next week's show texas street fight uh so we have two match announcements for next week uh that takes us into christopher daniels pentagon jr um this is christopher daniels first singles match uh, since June that they brought up on commentary. Uh, Daniels jumps him on the apron and Penta comes back. He hits a double foot stomp. We go through the commercial break. It's all Pentagon. Daniels then goes for an Arabian moonsault on the ramp and he slips and crashes down on the ramp and they blame it on Daniels not being cleared and his pinched nerve is still an issue. 
Uh, what did you think of this spot? It was ca- kind of hard to tell if this was what the desired uh, spot was or if this was an actual slip-up that the announcers were just covering for. My feeling was that it, it was a botch because it looked like a really rough landing that I just, I I wouldn't, you know, even somebody as, as great as Daniels, I just, I can't. It, it was so odd too, I think, in, in the body of the match that it just kind of killed the, mm-hmm. the, the, the reaction and the energy of the match itself. So and I they w- went to like the Angels' wings like thirty seconds later. So yeah. it it wasn't even like he played it up like he was. You know, Pentagon had the advantage from this. So I, re- I, I, my feeling is that it, it was not intentional. But I think we can commend Excalibur for protecting it really well, setting those neurological difficulties for, from the pile driver. Uh, and I think the recovery was good, but it 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 was certainly odd, and I think affected the flow of the match. Phoenix shows up. And he tosses in Daniel's microphone stand and Daniel's knocks down Phoenix from the apron. He ducks the weapon shot and sweeps Pentagon. He grabs the microphone stand, but instead of using it, he tosses it away, prompting the referee to turn their back and Pentagon hits a low blow and the package pile driver to win the match. Yeah. So their heels. Um, I think and Daniel's kind of looked like a fool here. As did the referee. Um, I, I didn't really like the finish to this. I thought it was very hokey. Um, the, the match was fine. Didn't mind the actual match. Um, even the, the the slip up on the moonsault, I, I didn't think it really hurt things. But I, I really hate, especially Phoenix. I just think it's impossible to watch this guy. And like, he, he's just such a baby face. I really don't like this role he's in at the moment. Um, yeah. The finish just seemed to be very lazy. Just the ref's back is turned, low blow. And that's the finish. I think, you know, I I would at least consider these two being positioned as heels if I feel like we at least had a storyline reason why they became heels. It was like, you know, they were part of this tag team tournament. We've seen them have, have these kick-ass matches. And all of a sudden, now they're like, I guess they did attack SCU from behind. Um, and then here they just continue that, I guess, with the low blow. But again, with the with any with the lack of story attached to either of these characters, it's hard to really understand their motivations for why they're doing these things. Um, and again, their styles are so fan friendly, and they always like play to the crowd, getting them to chant their 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 catchphrases at all times. So I definitely think there's some some incongruency there. I think long term that they should go with Daniel's turning down the road. And I, I'm hoping that they are putting all these little bread com- breadcrumbs down that it's going to lead to that. Like, where were Kazarian and Scorpio Sky to offset Phoenix tonight? And you just have all these little things, like Scorpio Sky benefiting from Daniel's injury, and they win the tag titles. And all these little things that it makes it logical why Daniel's feels like he's left out and the team's moved on without him. Right, yeah, I'm. I hope I have hope that they they are trying to tell that story. I'm honestly though a little less confident right now than I would have been, let's say, when they introduced this this whole story from the beginning. So we shall see. Then we got a feature, a video with the butcher, the blade, and the bunny, and it was all Allie doing the speaking. They are sick of seeing Cody's face everywhere. It's disgusting, and now we're in your house to cause you pain, and they are here. To cut the head off the snake. Now I like this video. I would have loved these even more. If these aired for three weeks. And we didn't know who the target was. And then last week. Like you know it's 
all these hints that it could be Cody, could be Omega, could be the Bucks, it could be someone we're not thinking about, and then they strike, they hit Cody, and everyone snaps their fingers, and they know, oh, Cody was the target all this time. Yeah, I mean, coming out of their debuts, I think one of the principal complaints about last week's show was the fact that they did nothing to prepare the audience to introduce who these these guys were, uh, given the fact that they're relative unknowns. I definitely think it was a mistake. And this maybe felt like a, a make good or an attempt to try to establish them after the fact. Certainly would have been way more effective last week had they shown these videos ahead of time, or at least like a teaser version of it without explaining so much. I thought, though, a really cool-looking video. Um, I am disappointed, though, that... I mean, Allie, last we saw her before this, she always had, she had her hair cut off by Brandy. And judging by this video, I have no indication at all that she's... that that story has anything to do with where Allie is right now. Instead, he, he's focusing on Cody. And with... You know, um, Brandy being a heel, I can't see, you know, the Butcher and the Blade focusing them on Awesome Kong and Brandy suddenly out of nowhere. So I I continue to feel like there's a real detachment between, you know, characters' turns and specifically here with Allie seemingly going goth for no reason, just because it looks cool, I suppose. Um, so I, I just I can't say they did a very good job switching her character from where, where she was to this. Maybe she's under the under the guidance of Brandy, who is secretly taking her husband down. I mean, that would be quite the reveal. Um, that would certainly be somewhat multi-layered. Um, so, Brand, <laughs> let me get this straight. So, Brandy, I guess, is sick of her husband. Maybe stopping, like, she's trying to, you know, like, she's just gotten to the cure or something. And all of a sudden, like, she wants to collect people's hair. She's doing this weird shit. Cody's not on board. He's, he's like, you know, focused on his own thing. And so to get revenge on her husband secretly, she's hired, like, a guy from this band and Allie and her husband to come up from beneath the ring to attack her, him. Um, I mean, it's possible. Multi-layered. They're going. Multi-layered yeah. for sure. Yeah. Joey Janela and John Moxley is our main event. This is where they brought up that it's John Moxley's birthday this weekend, and they mentioned Renee. Yeah. Cool. So there you go. Uh, there were chops from Moxley. They fought on the ramp. The ramp is like the most over weapon now after the Cody bump, isn't it? Yeah. There was well, a did, lot of stuff on the ramp tonight. Did they have it last week? think so i don't remember um but i i didn't even realize until midway through the show that we had a ramp and whether like and that it might be a permanent fixture moxley hit janella with the x-plex or as tony shivani has dubbed it el flippo i kind of like el flippo el flippo <laughs> is way better that's what i'm gonna call I it i think shivani should just start renaming all the moves that have been invented over the past 15 years you know what's a fun game to play is when – how is Jim Ross going to sneak in his him and Tony's podcast plugs? Um, yeah, of course. This week it was uh, – what a great week we have coming up. My podcast is out tomorrow. Tony's is out today. We've got Texas and whoever playing on Saturday. 
Just in one breath. Just the guy's a pro. He's seamless. Yeah, everybody's got side hustles. I mean, Jericho's got his uh, champagne. You know, everybody's got a podcast. So sure. Janela uh, spins over the top and hits a DDT onto the ramp, and then hits this suicide dive crucifix slam off the turnbuckle for a two count. Uh, then he hits Moxley with a snap German, sending him into the bottom turnbuckle. And Moxley goes to the floor, and the camera is close up on Moxley leaning against his table. And out of nowhere, Janela just flies on top of him, puts him through the table. But you totally missed the dive. Um, but, 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 you got the, but you got the surprise. You know, it was like it was very much like Jeff Hardy at the Rumble, like from 2000, where you're not necessarily expecting somebody to fall in. But then, uh, uh, like from out of frame, this giant person crashes through onto this man through the the ring belt. Ring, timekeeper's table, which I thought I thought looked really cool. There was a top rope elbow by Janela. Moxley kicks out, and at this point, it's like you're starting to believe Janela has a chance to pull off this upset. And Janela gets stopped, and he's hit with a paradigm shift onto the top turnbuckle, and then another paradigm shift in the center of the ring for Moxley to win. He stays undefeated, and the show concludes with Jericho coming out through the crowd with the inner circle, just like Moxley did last week stares at Moxley to end the show. So that is our long-term match between Moxley and Jericho that they are teasing and the end of the show. But what did you think of the main event? I thought Janela was really good here. You know, to me, he continues to, I did prove, too. to prove that he's more versatile than just, you know, simply a hardcore wrestler. It seems like he's almost got a a bit of a chip on his shoulder to prove that. He's gotten into better shape and I think has like definitely shown a... a, 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 a you know, a more serious side of him, at least, you know, his with his in-ring style. I, I can see them giving him a Darby Allen type of push in the future. You know, he's the underdog who is constantly undersized, but willing to take risks to make up for that smaller size. And he already has the audience loving him. So I, I, I do want to see, like, maybe a bit more of a focus on, like, promoting him as a character. Like, I, the promo he did earlier today was, like, was interesting. But I think, you know, it didn't really make me feel anything, nor did it really give me an indication about who this person is. Like, you know, all we know about, I, him- I don't think he really, I mean, it was just one promo. I, I didn't think it really worked in like a 32nd promo. Right. Like that's not going to get Joey Janela and his personality across. Mm-hmm. I think you have to do something a little more in depth because he's a really interesting guy. And, yeah. you know, he has a very different style. Like his, his wrestling, it's, it's not pretty. It's like very rough around the edges, but it works as well that he's just this guy that is, you know, this this overachiever and the audience gets into this guy's matches. I think like his his work ethic like comes through that you can see this guy is uh, working very hard and Moxley was a very good opponent for him tonight. Yeah, like whenever they decide to go with Janela for something more significant, I mean, they really do have to like, you know, try to figure out a way to translate the appeal of him to to, to the GCW audience and try to like maybe dilute that and 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 you know format that in a way that that is you know uh i think palatable to a tnt audience and it could very well be the same thing you know you show the clip of this dude falling off of like uh, a building through through light tubes and nearly killing himself like just let the man tell the story and i feel like you can give a better sense of the audience of, about how to understand it because i think at present we know he's like a 
a very entertaining wrestler. I think, you know, you see his entrance, he's very charismatic, but we still know very little about him. And that goes for a great deal of this, this roster too. Moxley, I thought his swagger and confidence are just so damn strong. You know, he feels like such a top guy. He looks like it. I mean, especially in comparison to, to much of this roster. So uh, he, he's tremendous. Um, I, I thought it was a good main event. I really liked the first two matches. Um, overall though, I thought this was one of the weaker dynamites that we've seen in the last 10 weeks. I agree with you. I mean, I will say I thought the episode moved along really fast as they usually do. Kept me entertained for the entire two hours. I love that opening match. I, I do feel like, you know, the, the, the non-in-ring character development pieces that they produce for the Dark Order, Butcher the Blade, plus like, you know, promo segments from Cody and Jericho and Jurassic Express. I thought all of that was really successful. But I definitely feel like this episode highlighted a bunch of glaring mistakes that AEW has still yet to prove to me that they are able to handle. And, you know, among that is something like Brandy and Kong just, I think, continuing to miss its mark. Um, the fact that they have so many gothy gimmicks running at the same time is an issue. Um, what's going on with the Lucha Brothers? I have no idea. I also question, you know, breaking the streaks of like upcoming talents of uh, like Trent and Cheetah. So for me, a mixed bag of a show. Yeah, the, the Jericho promo setting up Jungle Boy, that, that was uh, very strong as well. Cody is, you know, just a super baby face. Um, so it, it was hardly like a bad show, but I just think in comparison to recent Dynamites, um, I, I would go like six and a half on this show if I was like giving it a, a grade, which uh, for Dynamite is lower than usual. I'd agree with that. I think, you know, what we're seeing now a month, like what, two months? Two months yeah. in, sort of into the experiment is like, I think some of the freshness and the fascination is kind of worn down. And I think they thus far they've, they've really relied on, you know, what they know that they can guarantee that to, to, you know, that they're able to deliver. And that's really strong in-ring action and, you know, superstar level promos from people established like Cody and Jericho. But now that we've seen that a lot, you're having to rely on the undercard, which I feel like, you know, not only is the undercard themselves, inexperienced but i think i would say the producers of the show it it feels like their inexperience is starting to show as well in the way that they're able to promote the undercard whether it be with focusing on too many people at the same time or maybe just you know storylines that just aren't really connecting so these are all things i'm hoping AEW can address all right let's get into the feedback from the forum paul from new jersey writes in that uh first of all the uh forum gives us a 6.96 for tonight's show Paul, that Brandy segment was weird. Still don't get what her character is. Moxley is a star. He and Jericho, with less creative restraint, should be great. Their feud in WWE was a bit of a dud. Go to Brandon from Oshawa, who says, I enjoyed the show a lot more than last week, but two months in, and I'm going to be a lot more critical of them. I'm not sure how I feel about the number one contenders losing. Both LAX and Cheetah are ranked number one, supposedly the number one contenders, but have lost two weeks in a row. On one hand, I do like that there is some unpredictability that just because someone is number one ranked, we know they will go over. On the other hand, how is the contender supposed to look strong if they are losing? I, I didn't realize she'd lost last week. I didn't think she did. Um, I'll look it up while you're reading okay. this. There was no need for another Cody promo. That time could have gone to somebody else. Where were Spears and Tully? What about Sabian and Penelope Ford? I like to see these performers on Dynamite and not just thrown onto Dark. This was the best night for the women, in my opinion. Statliner Sheeta was really good. Nyla looked great, though I wish the table spot didn't happen during the commercial. My favorite part of the show was the Jurassic Express and Jericho segment and Dark Order videos. Those have been really well done the past few weeks. 
Um, they did lose last week. It was Hikaru Shida and Chris Statlander losing to uh, Emi Sakura and B Priestley in the tag match. Did she take the pin? Do you know? No, it was Statlander, I thought. I, anyway. Sort of a anyway. moot point, but to me, I thought it was significant that she lost a singles match here uh, and, and took the pinfall, which I, f- I, I don't think she did last week, but I could be wrong. Um, in terms of uh, doing things during the commercial break, I almost think like this week, like the head shaving and the table spot, like they're very visual that I almost wonder if they went out of their way because there was a big push to make sure people don't tune away during the commercials and i wonder if they were doing that as you know kind of a a process to try and train people to stick around during the breaks because you might you might see something that it's at least visually you're not really missing a table spot you don't need to necessarily hear it but just the idea that things can happen during the breaks so are you saying there's a more concerted effort into counter programming this week than previous i i thought that i mean every break they were telling you it's picture in picture. Don't tune away. So I, I can't recall them doing it anywhere near what they did tonight. On that note, do you do you have any thoughts on the uh, promo that that's been circulating from TNT that I guess specifically you know mentions AEW being dynamite or, or whatever? Uh not really. I mean, it's I kind of expect it to go back and forth like that. Um, I don't know. I, I I didn't see like a big issue with it. Me neither. No, I mean, I suppose it's, you know, it does run counter, I think, to the the corporate line from the executives thus far about, like, them not paying attention or, I don't know, not do, making an effort to counter program in order to really disparage. Although you definitely saw multiple instances, uh, subtle references in the Cody promo as well. So there's always, like, there's lines and there's going to be lines back and forth. I just, I, I just, I, I don't put too much thought into it either way. It's, it's kind of expected, and deep down, I think it's, it's what the audience wants to see. They want to see these two trading jabs at one another. Yeah. Um, Varouge from Phoenix. Another week, another great promo from Cody. This is just becoming the norm now. Also, Randy Orton and Dustin Rhodes are the only ones allowed to do snap scoop power slams from now until the end of time. Randy's looks a bit better, but Dustin's is still nice as hell. It seems like they're starting to do a bit more with the women's division, so that's dope. That being said, the champ doesn't need to be on every show, but can't we just get something from her other than the same match every couple of weeks? A solid episode. Going to be interesting to see how they stretch storylines out with no pay-per-view in the foreseeable future. Do you guys see that being an issue, or do you think special episodes of Dynamite like Bash at the Beach will serve as mini pay-per-views until the next actual one comes along? As always, stay dope, y'all. Um, they w- are going to be doing the same as... NXT, where it's going to be pretty much, well, I guess we're getting, what, five takeovers a year, and AEW's planning to do four pay-per-views a year. They've said maybe five, so it's almost the same cycle. So you're going to see that, but I do see them treating certain episodes bigger than others, where they will do the occasional uh, AEW title match on TV and and building up to little things like that along the way as well. Yeah, I think we're seeing that right now, and I like it. I like it. You know, it gives you something big to build towards. Every three or four weeks. Like, and imagine monthly. We'd be getting set. Like, it's almost been a month since full gear. Would you be ready for another AEW pay-per-view in a week? Not if it's $50, you know? I, I just, I don't care if it's free. Like, I just don't think, I'm not a big fan of the monthly model. Like, we just finished Survivor Series, and we've got TLC next week. And it just, that to me, over time, it just 
it wears you thin that these shows don't feel special anymore. And I think TakeOver's been very smart with that approach. And the fact that AEW is doing the same, I think they, they look at it the same way, that a pay-per-view needs to feel important and that needs time so that it feels important by the time they come back for their next show. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, I think having something to build to on TV, though, obviously, like that to me just feels like it's it's almost a part of wrestling these like you know through through time having something to build towards whether it be on pay-per-view or or not um so i i think it also is a great way to like give people like scorpio sky or in this case jungle boy a great deal of tv exposure in a main event you're giving them all the promotion that you would otherwise give somebody for a pay-per-view but in a more condensed short shorter amount of time which I think would be appropriate for somebody in a mid card, which would would give, would give them a great deal to gain if they're simply on, on the undercard or mid card. We get a Kenny who says, "I really love AEW, but this was a bad show. Brandy shaving heads, beating the number one contenders for the tag and women's titles for no reason, putting a ref through a table during a commercial break, Cody taking more unnecessary shots at NXT, no Omega Pack or Darby, and that cringy Dark Order promo. Worst of all." In one promo, they turned Luchasaurus from a fun baby face into a I'm smart, I have a master's degree geek. The show wasn't all bad, and most of the wrestling was totally decent, but I just don't get what they're trying to do with all this goofy stuff. Um, I, I don't agree with all those points. I mean, Luchasaurus, I mean, it's that's kind of been the character. Um, they haven't had him speak on TV, but it's... Like, I don't think it of, hurt. I don't think it hurts Luchasaurus at all. I didn't think all. at all. I think it gives him like... The, I, I think it gives him the range. It doesn't feel out of place for him to talk. I mean, um, like, it's ridiculous to see a man in a dinosaur mask anyway. Um, I think this was just their way of showing that he is somebody who can talk like like a real human being, even though he looks ridiculous. Yeah. Um, I, I didn't really mind the fact, you know, you're, you're not going to get all your stars on every single week. Um, but that's... That's that's also another issue. Like a Darby Allen, yeah, he he to me is someone that I I would have in my my small number of people that I would be focused upon. Um, but again, it's it's a numbers game, and there really isn't like a program for Darby Allen right now. There's not the room for it. Well, this is where I feel like AEW can definitely better utilize like bite sized pre produced segments, and we saw some instances of that here, like with the the bunny butcher blade and also the dark order i suppose you know i don't know how many resources they have in doing things like that but on every show you can have some presence from somebody and like i would only think darby isn't somebody to be focused on right now that does not excuse i think the complete disappearance of riho though you know we haven't seen her at all since the pay-per-view and i would get it if she wasn't the the champion but she's the champion you know, like they definitely have a long ways to go in, in establishing her as a character with something to say with the voice. And they have all this TV time right now and not even devoting, you know, two minutes an episode to giving her some some type of, type of subtitled thing or just just something to demonstrate who this person is with the belt. And so I, I continue to be disappointed by that. Alexander from Portland asks, during AEW Dark, they announced the Young Bucks and Dustin Rhodes versus the Inner Circle as the main event. Seeing how that wasn't the main event of the show tonight, do you think it was for the best uh, that the main event was switched? Mm. Do you think yeah. that the six-man would have... You know, they wanted to go off the air with Moxley and Jericho. So, And I also think they wanted to start off really hot. 
And I, I do right. think boxing Rhodes versus Inner Circle was going to be a way hotter, faster paced match with like a good deal of star power attached to it as well. Um, I have, I, I, you know, if they had switched that order around, let's say, for instance, if like Trent Phoenix started the show, I don't know if I would have liked that. If Janela and Mo- and Moxley started the show, um, might have come across well. I, I, I thought this was better. Yeah, I, I think you, you wanted to go off the air with Jericho and Moxley. You couldn't have done that if they were on first or we even to, on early. Right. We got a Noah from Vaughn who says, I'm all in on the Dark Order. I've been loving their videos so far. I'm cautiously curious about the Brandy storyline, and I'm interested to see where it goes. And who is that fan that joined them? Sheeta versus Chris Stat- Statlander was very interesting. And same can be said about the main event and six-man tag. Jericho was gold as always in a segment. Kind of curious why the form rated the show so low. I thought it was at least an 8 out of 10. Okay, the next one here. Uh, if you really love AEW, I'd recommend checking out the Luchasaurus interview on Talk is Jericho that was recorded before the first episode of Dynamite. Before making... Okay, this is more so just a response to the uh, Luchasaurus comment about that. Let, let's go to the next one here. Are we seeing the Lucha Brothers splitting off into their singles runs? Did I phrase that correctly? Still, Phoenix is a natural babyface. Pence is a great heel, so it makes sense. Even the women's division is picking up some momentum. Four, ref, four refs through a table out of five. Did you see that as a destination where they go uh, separate? Not in, for a while. I mean, they seem they they seem pretty set on treating them as as a single. Well, I mean, they are a tag team. Of course, they both of them can have singles matches. But oh, oh, okay. I guess what, I I get what 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 he's saying. He's saying, are we going to see singles programs with? the Lucha Brothers, while they still maintain, remain a team. Um, yeah. I, 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 I can really see the Lucha Brothers like ultimately winning these tag titles from SCU at the end of this. That's how I see it too, which is, again, really confusing why they had Trent beat them two weeks in a row all of a sudden just to like do this. So, I don't know. Maybe that remains to be seen. What I mean, it built up to a singles match where at least Phoenix gets something out of beating a guy rather than, you know, they had just beaten the best friends in different variations for two weeks and then done this. Did you really um, get the sense that Phoenix was like trying to like overcome some, overcome some like incredible odds by beating Trent? I, I don't think it's so much the story of the match, but it's more so, I mean, you, the viewer are believe you're not necessarily watching this or viewing this match as kind of like a squash match. In fact, you're thinking the opposite that Trent has Trent's on a bit of a roll here. He may win this match. Right. So coming out of it, though, I I don't really know if that much more was gained or simply something was taken away because you have my attention. I'm starting to sympathize with Trent wanting him to win. And all of a sudden to take that away. I don't know if Felix necessarily Phoenix necessarily gains from that um, more so than it just seems like, you know, he stopped somebody else's momentum. Because, you know, and again, I think follow up from the from the commentators would have really helped, you know, explaining to us how we should feel about Phoenix winning, because I kind of came out of it not really feeling anything. Finally, we got a man who says, on Friday, you both speculated on how long Sheamus would be in that alley for. Basically, SmackDown's Aleister Black. Is this where the Dark Order are headed? Weeks or months of promos with a little payoff? Also, would you rather the car, the watch, the money, or the red bottom shoes? Well, I mean, I definitely argue, Matt, that Dark Order has been on TV for several weeks now, and I don't think they were getting anywhere. In fact, they were only hurting themselves by continuing to, you know, have frequent appearances without anybody caring. I think they 
need, desperately need something like this. Three weeks to me is certainly not too long. I mean, when we're talking five weeks, maybe that'll be too long. Maybe even, maybe even four weeks might be too long. But if they were to end this this week and have them debut, let's say next week in an attack or something, I think that would have been that would be perfect. I could even go for another week because I think these videos have actually been been quite good. And would you? Which one would you rather, John? Oh, sorry. Um, maybe the watch. It was a nice watch. It looked expensive. Yeah. I mean, wouldn't anyone here choose? Uh, I mean, the the car you could you could sell, and that would be more, worth more than fifty thousand so dollars. Yeah, just, and would... then you could buy the watch and the shoes. How much is the car? More than fifty thousand. Even like used. You know the mileage on it? He said that it's like one of 300 of these things that are, uh, it's very uh, limited supply. So what if you I would think it would be enough that uh, on the on the market, it could provide you enough that you could buy a watch and shoes. Yeah, I don't know how much these uh, red bottom shoes were, um, nor how much this watch were, but I don't know. I feel like I would just like, you know, forego the hassle of selling anything and just take the money. Well, you could do that as well. Be tough to go across customs, though, with that. I mean, can you take a car? I guess you could sneak a watch. Yeah, that'd be no problem. Um, one other note here I got from somebody that just sent this in, that uh, tonight's AEW Dark Match, uh, or Dark Main Event, was uh, Kenny Omega over Kip Sabian. Then the Elite came out to thank the crowd, and they brought Tony Khan out to uh, thank the crowd as well. That was how the show ended. All right. And this is how our show is going to end. Uh, Way's going to come out and thank all of you for attending tonight's show. Thank you for listening. Are we getting ratings tomorrow? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Ratings. Uh, I think they should be all back to normal now. Okay. With Great. the uh, holiday delay from last week. So we should have ratings on Thursday. Uh, if you want to tune in, Cafe Hangout, 3 p.m. Eastern for all Cafe members. We'll also be joined by Greg Oliver from Slam Wrestling. We're going to be chatting about his latest book, and uh, plenty of other things, uh, what's going on. We'll, we'll get his thoughts on AEW. Is he watching? Uh, we'll find out. I'm sure oh. he is. Okay. So uh, look forward to chatting with Greg uh, for the first time on the Cafe Hangout. So look forward to that. Postwrestling.com has you covered for all of your news. And that's it. Goodbye, everybody. Stand up. It's time to fight. It's Wednesday night. Rewind the dynamite. Your fighting spirit and your might. Leap and take flight, sky high, Luchasaurus high, scream, cheer, rejoice and sing, hear the bell ring, what will tonight show bring? Everyone is listening to Post Wrestling, with John Pollock and waiting, they've got the fuse, if you've got the light, hit the switch on TNT, and rewind the dynamite.